0: Thanks, uh, Callum Chase, for joining me today. Um, Callum, would you mind doing us a bit of a um, um, kind of background about yourself and, and how you came into talking about AI and, and talking about um, the future and, and singularity and those sorts of things?
1: Sure, well, uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. I have been thinking about artificial intelligence most of my life uh, because I read lots of science fiction when I was growing up and, and since. And I started thinking about it particularly after I read one of Kurzweil's books. I think I've got that in common with a lot of people. The one that uh, woke me up was um, Are We Spiritual Machines in 1999? And the reason why that woke me up is I'd always thought that there would be machines that were smarter than humans. And uh, I think I'd read quite a few stories where the machines... Combined with humans and that seemed like a good plan, but Mm. I was assumed that it would be um, Centuries or thousands of years away and Kurtzweil's book made me think wow this might happen in my lifetime or my Or the the next generations lifetime, and that was a really striking thought Mm. I uh, That back in those days the the um, uh, The the web wasn't really in full flow Uh, in fact back in those days uh, yeah, no, that's right. It, it, was, it was early days, and, and even in the internet was pretty sparse. Yeah. So you couldn't find information very easily, and it's really remarkable how that's totally changed. Um, it's one of those changes that we've all just taken for granted, but it's quite staggering the way that yeah. you can find stuff out now.
0: I think well, you know uh, we're both of the generation that we kind of lived through that change, and, and that's. A staggering thing for us to, to remember before the internet and those sorts of things. So
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, I first saw the web in 94 when uh, a large publishing company that I was consulting to said, take a look at this because we think it might be significant. <laughs> and I thought, my first thought was, yeah, you're right. That's going to change everything. Uh, but it took, it took quite a while to do it, obviously. And then the dot-com boom was happening in 99. Yeah. Um, but still, in those days, it was still not... Uh, easier to get hold of all sorts of niche information, whereas now it is. Anyway, um, so for the last 15 years or so, I've been, I've been, I think it's fair to say, fairly obsessed by the idea of artificial intelligence and where it's taking mm. us. And uh, I have got lots of friends that I talk to about it, and most of them have thought most of the time that I'm a blithering idiot. But then suddenly last year, um, when, Bo- uh, when Nick Bostrom's book, Superintelligence, became well-known and was read yeah. by some influential people, suddenly the world woke up because Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, Elon Musk started talking about the possible downsides and the media, well actually that's unfair, they mm-hmm. were talking about, they, they actually expressed um, the prospects in very balanced terms saying that it could be the best thing or the worst thing ever but the media understandably only heard the downside and, mm-hmm. and ran lots of pictures of the Terminator yep. and so suddenly in the last year or two, my friends don't think I'm quite so batty after all um, and and the world is slowly waking up so it's it's a fascinating time to be around and to be to be talking about it
0: yeah and i think that that book in particular is quite a sobering one it's um it's it's got a lot of um factual um graphs and and things like that as well as um you know postulating on um things that different ways of how these uh ai could transform and also how it could come about and at the speed at which it could it could come about and and all those sorts of things. So it's um, it's quite a tour de force of um, the whole kind of sphere, if you like, of the AI and um, what he's um, saying is super intelligent AI.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a it's a remarkable book. Um, I mean, Bostrom is one of the smartest people on the planet, and it shows in in his writing. It's slightly heavy going, and mm-hmm. some of, some of it's a bit technical, but it's really worth reading. I mean, I think there's two books that anybody who's really interested in this space should read. One is that book, Superintelligence by Nick Bostrom, and the other is Ray Kurtz Files, The Singularity is Near. And if you read those two, you'll you you'll have a grasp on yeah. uh, a lot of the argument. And, of course, I have to plug my own... Sure, my, sure. My, <laughs> my, book, <laughs> survi- my book, Surviving AI, is probably um, more approachable uh, and quicker to get through and, yeah. and try, tries to cover a lot of the same uh- ground.
0: I think that's a really good uh, point for our reader uh, our listeners because i've I've read the singularity um uh, super intelligence um, but I, I think I could have read some other slightly um, more approachable books um, to start uh, off my interest if I was just coming to this um, and and wanting a more kind of easy read to to get me started and and to get me interested in the whole arguments, I think, um, would you say your, your book would have been kind of um, a, a better starting block book for people who, who uh, haven't necessarily read into this subject? But um, Yeah, I, th- I think
1: it's more accessible. It's written yeah. more for the layperson. Um, Nick, Nick's book is, it, it, it has the hallmarks of having been written by a professional philosopher in that it's very thorough, very smart sure. and more slightly heavy going. More yeah, kind of
0: academic tone. Um, So why don't you tell us a little bit about the the two books that you've um, currently got uh, out and available on Amazon and other places?
1: Mm. Well, one of them is Surviving AI, which is a non-fiction review of, uh, a very brief review of the history of artificial intelligence and then where it is now, how good it is now, and where it's going in the next few years. And I have a little um, fictional story, a day in the life of somebody who uh, has got an artificial intelligence assistant um kind yeah. of a super a supercharged siri and the internet of things is is becoming um pretty powerful and uh virtual reality video conferencing is happening so it, it's it's a picture of a world say 10 or 15 years hence mm. but the the book talks about the two singularities that I think are coming. Every, everybody talks about the technological singularity, which is when we get super intelligence. I and mean, actually the singularity is a concept which can mean different things to different people. For me I think of it as being the time when uh, artificial general intelli- artificial general intelligence arrives, so an AI which can do all of the things cognitively that we can, it quickly becomes a super intelligence. And at that point, you, you pass through an event horizon because the future is really hard to uh, foresee. It's very hard to see what's going to happen the other side of that event horizon. So that's the technological singularity which uh, has, has interested a lot of people for some time. Yep. The, before that, we're going to get what I call the, an economic singularity, which is when machine intelligence replaces most humans in jobs when a machine can do your job when it when it's got the capability it very quickly will because it will be be quickly able to do it cheaper better and faster than you can Mm. and it's an open question at the moment as to whether that uh, machine intelligence automation will mean people can't do paid jobs or whether we'll think of new jobs for people to do which for some reason the machines won't be able to do Now, the book Surviving AI doesn't talk very much about that. It it sketches um, that scenario and then goes into much more detail on the superintelligence and technological singularity. Uh, I'm currently working on another book, which will be called The Economic Singularity, which focuses squarely on that business of machine intelligence automation. Because uh, although a lot of people are now talking about this, I think we haven't done nearly enough thinking about what kind of an economy we'll need if and when machines do replace humans in jobs. And I think they will.
0: Do you think, Uh, I mean, uh, I love this question because you have the um, lots of kind of different ways of tackling this um, issue within the structures that we already kind of have. So how are we going to take capitalism or um, this kind of post-social... idea and then go further and and tack these things on how are we going to um, allow people to carry on working or allow them to have a basic income um, for example Um, is there do you see any way of of this um, so these jobs are going to get taken and do you see any way of us kind of getting out of this capitalist kind of social structure and, and maybe going into something where the economics of it means that we don't really need to have money, for example. We don't need to lean on these pillars of industrialisation um, so much. Um, yeah, I think we will need a new economy. I'm uh,
1: probably a rarity in the what you might call the futurist community, and I'm a fan of capitalism. I think the market economy, mm-hmm. um, and broadly speaking capitalism, with regulation has produced marvellous results for humanity. Today is the best time ever to be born, if, particularly if you're born into, in, in one of the developed economies. Uh, it is, I think, you know, undeniably true that, ne- that humani- humanity has never had it so good, and, and the market economy is a big part of the reason why. But the market is excellent at dealing with economics of scarcity, and we are hopefully moving towards a different kind of economics and economics yeah. of, of abundance. That's if we get it right. Sure. I think if we if we get to the point when a large minority or a majority of people can no longer do paid work because nothing they can do can't be done, nothing that they could do for money can't be done better, cheaper, and faster by machines, yep. we will at the very least need a universal basic income. Um, but I don't think that's enough. A universal basic income could be a way of adjusting capitalism to deal with automation. Sure. But if if we get it right. Um, then, lots of goods and services will become so cheap they 'll be virtually free because because they 're automated and and um, the the investment in the robots and the machines can be quickly amortized um, and and then the market economy becomes perhaps irrelevant or perhaps dangerous, mm. and we will probably need a new type of economy and we don 't know what it is yeah the, the models that we have at the moment, like socialism communism feudalism and any other type of economy we've tried are, are almost certainly not going to work so we've gotten mm. some thinking to do
0: I, I read this book um called the um called down and out in the magical kingdom which um is another fi- science fiction book um and in that the economy is run on on kudos almost it's um how how you're giving back and how socially active you are or how um the things that you make are being received. Um, so you, you're building up these kind of kudos points so you don't get money, but you do spend your kudos in a similar fashion. Um, and I, I like that idea because it's it's totally different but very familiar sort of thing. Mm. Um, I, I hate that idea. Do you? Okay, <laughs> I do, yeah. And, and in fact, it's being
1: trialed in China at the moment. Really? Wow. Yeah, there's a thing, I forget what they call the overall thing, but um, they... Are running. They're piloting uh, a system in which every bit of financial information that the state has on citizens is put into a pot, and added to that pot are people's behaviour as rated by other people. And one of the big big organisations which is uh, trialling this is is a company called Sesame, which is part of Alibaba, which is China's China's answer to answer to Amazon. Yeah. It's a terrifying idea because having all of us rate each other leads very quickly to a big brother state on steroids. If you are at all um, challenging to the state or to a decent number of individuals, Mm -hmm. you get downvoted. Sure. And, you know, often the most interesting people are the people who get downvoted. But, you know, for anybody, it could be quite disastrous. And for a totalitarian society like China... Um it's capitalist, but it is totalitarian. Mm-hmm. Um to be introducing a system like that is is really quite horrifying. It's it's the East German state gone mad.
0: Yeah. I mean for me it's, it's similar to the um I, I so I'm amazed to hear that they're actually trialling it because it's it seems to me that it's one of those things which um like the the rules of robotics, um the the three rules of robotics, it's something that you can look at and, and Discuss, but then through through this book and um, through the the robots um, stories, it kind of unravels, if you like. So I think trialing these things in in science fiction, in in simulation, in you know all these different ways is fantastic. But actually putting it to work in the real life, in the real world, is uh, you know fantastic that they made that step and and. And, and quite uh, disastrous, maybe as well, like you were saying. Well, yeah, you
1: know, doing experiments in societies is mm. quite dangerous because um, if you get it wrong, you can have very bad outcomes for a lot of people for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think this sesame thing is, is, is you know, it, it's a it's a forerunner of disaster. There's an interesting, different but parallel system being uh, allegedly being launched in the states called People P double E P L E, in which all of us are invited to rate each other. Now, the idea was to try to raise um, the standards of civilized behavior, which online, apart from anything else, could could be uh, <laughs> a very good idea, <laughs> yeah, but in, sure. in, pub, in, in, in the real world as well. And it ran into a storm of flack, the founders, uh, yeah. because um, people didn't like the idea of being downvoted by other people. And they had to... Pivot it, as they say. Yeah. They had to adapt it so that uh, you wouldn't ad- that downvotes. You you could veto a downvote about you appearing on the site. Right. Now, of course, that that may well make the whole thing a bit pointless. Yeah, um, sure. And again, you know, I think it shows that people can be quite quick to understand you know, some of the downsides. I, I completely agree with you about science fiction being a great um, way to do thought experiments in, yeah. in what could happen. And that's why I wrote my other book, which is already published, which is called Pandora's Brain, which is a novel, a thriller about the arrival of the first superintelligence.
0: Yeah, and I i mean, I've read a couple of books, um, you know, with the Terminator style ending where you have this, the machines which are um, ambivalent to humans and, and maybe start um, taking over. Is your book um, more... On the side of machines are good or bad or is it, it sobering kind of um, look at all the different eventualities that we we could have um, varying outcomes um, from having a super intelligent artificial oh, being
1: pa- Pandora's brain has a good super intelligence in it a very a super intelligence which is very well disposed towards humanity I really didn't want to write yet another Terminator dystopia sure sure um, yeah I think that's unusual Definitely. yeah quite and it 's actually surprisingly hard to do, but it does explore all the ways that things could go wrong, and the way that humanity reacts to the arrival of the superintelligence <coughs> um, shows that it really really throws into into highlight the the possible downside
0: yeah and i think it, i think it 's really fantastic that um, i mean this book <coughs> has a positive outlook because um, sometimes people um, are restricted by the culture that surrounds them and they can only see that this thing could be bad and they don't see that this thing could be good, you know, in equal respects or that there's other opportunities within any particular um, kind of scenario, if you like. Um, And I think AI is definitely one of those, um, which has had uh, lots and lots of bad cultural artefacts written about it, um, which has not held it back necessarily, but definitely in the... um, social psyche um I would yeah say. and and for good reasons um
1: it is a, a basic fact of writing fiction that you have to have jeopardy uh, your your he- hero has to hero or heroine has to go through a hard time in fact i was reading the other day that what you should do with your hero or heroine is torture them as much as possible and then figure <laughs> out a way to make it worse um otherwise you haven't got a story so it's it's pretty inevitable that that uh, Fiction written about AI, which is a very yeah. powerful technology, will give
0: your hero a heroine a very hard time indeed. So, what we're really looking forward to is um, a story about the birth of AI, which isn't which is a non-story. So, we we discovered superintelligence, and it was great. The end. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, I yeah. I tried to write something a bit more interesting than that. Yes, um, sure, but, sure. But, uh, yeah. but I mean, in reality, that's kind of what we're. That would be the, the ideal, I guess, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know we need we need balance. There are massive risks in AI, in both of the singularities, in particular. Uh, but it's coming anyway. We're going to yep. have it, so we have to make the best of it. And if we are successful in navigating both of the singularities, our future is astonishingly good.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, if you read the um, the next book about superintelligence, um, it goes on to say that it could be, you know. A huge leap forward in in how humanity not only operates but i guess um biologically you know we could get rid of um aging or viruses or you know it could help us do all sorts of leaps in uh, to not technological improvement um to everyone's lives i guess
1: yeah no that's right and and one of the um most celebrated AI researchers, Demis Hassabis, one of the co-founders of DeepMind, has a great mm. saying. He says that humanity's plan for the future should be two steps. The first step is solve intelligence, i.e. create an AGI. Mm. And the second, the second step is to use that to solve everything else. And, and by everything else, he really means everything else, including uh, climate change, including mm. death, including ageing, uh, poverty, war, the whole lot. Um, yeah. if, if we have a hugely powerful superintelligence. Uh we we you know most of our current problems should disappear. No doubt it would give us a whole bunch of new problems, but they'd be more interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean there's I think there's the thought experiment there which um is somewhat connected to Nick Bonstrom's um paperclip example, I guess, um which we can, we could go into maybe, but um I mean we could get to a point where we have a superintelligence and it could say well, we can get rid of war by doing X and it might be that X is actually not palatable by human beings or maybe not necessarily by the um, ideology or also or um, morals of those human beings at the time um so to end conflict we have to give up um, television or you know or we have to give up um, uh, some some civil liberties that we might have um do you have any i mean is that something that you might think about or what you've seen
1: oh for sure you know the the risks of a superintelligence getting it wrong misunderstanding what what humans meant when they said for instance um improve human welfare as 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 much as you can you know maybe we gave that as its goal and it thinks okay well crossing the road is pretty dangerous for you guys so i'm going to lock you all into coffins and feed you the um nutrients you need and the and, and the yeah. uh that the oxygen need in, in, intravenously and just keep you all very safe, and we'd hate that,
0: but it, it might not. It might not get it. But it would be optimizing given that um, question that we've asked it. it exactly.
1: So the the, the possibility of um, unexpected consequences is is, is grave. Mm. Um, the the paperclip maximizer is a nice little cartoon that shows how a, a goal can can look incredibly rational to start with and then could could have really horrible outcomes uh, yeah. in, in real life. And that's one of the things that we need to be careful of. And that's that's a bigger danger than the Terminator, Skynet sort of danger because the, the chances of getting a purely malevolent AGI are probably not that great. Not I don't think you can dismiss them, but the, it's, sure. it's more the danger of the um, unexpected consequences.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, carry
1: on. And, uh, well, I was just going to say, and that's why I... I I'm probably alone in thinking that the phrase that everybody talks about, ethics in AI, mm-hmm. is, is the wrong word because there are problems that we face well before we get to superintelligence and possibly even after we get to superintelligence, which aren't about the ethics of a machine because the machine may not be an entity capable of having ethics. What we're worried about is safety. Both, when you know, in the in the short term, for instance, with self-driving cars, the way we mm. program a car to behave, if there's a an immediate prospect of an accident which could either kill a child or kill the driver, um, the, it, it's going to have to be programmed to make the decision one way or the other. That's a safety issue. It's not an ethics yeah. issue. The the car I, I, doesn't have ethics.
0: I would, yeah, no, um, I I use the, your safety example synonymously with ethics because the human being whose safety is in jeopardy has moral. Or ethical um, understanding. So, I think um, I use the autonomous vehicles because it's it's a great example and it's something that is happening now and is is you know it's not in the far f- flung future. It's something which is um, in the news, you know. And I think um, the example I usually give is you know is the vehicle going to recognise your cat? Is it going to recognise your um, your your siblings is gonna recognise your, your family and, and what decisions is it gonna make about um some sort of impact if it's out of control uh with those things? Is it gonna end up running over loads of cats and is that morally fine because I'm I'm again talking about the human beings' morals and if it runs over the president or your mum, you know, what what are the differences? What are we literally going to program um, which has an, a moral impact, on, but it's to do with safety. It's to do with um, impacting on our lives because, like you say, the, the machines don't necessarily currently have a conscious, moral uh, component, if you like. No, they, they
1: don't, and they probably won't for quite some time. So that's why I, I just think ethics is the wrong word. What, what we're concerned about is, is the safety of the machine, so that the machine makes... Um, decisions which which maximize human safety there is an ethical consideration for the person who programs the rules into yep. the car that's that's ethics but very often it's just purely about safety
0: sure sure so you would you would say that um, if I sat down and programmed one of these algorithms to run on a on a car um, which is autonomous and is going to run itself I might have some morals that I have to make a decision on when I'm programming that car
1: yeah, at the moment, a driver yeah. w- is often forced with uh, an ethical decision to make, although sometimes, obviously, the, the events happen too fast for the driver to be able to make that decision, where a machine could make the decision. So um, somewhere along the production process, and really, it's obviously, it's, it's in the programming of the instructions, Yeah. Um, an ethical decision is going to have to be made, which will determine the safety of the machine.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean... Given you've got um, a, I mean, it might be a long time ago now, but you have a a degree in philosophy, do you think that um, having that experience, you can say something about those moral choices? Or, um, I mean, we always talk about having no real decision on ethics and morals, really. Um, We all have our own kind of different morals, and there's different schools of thought on, on morality and um, ethical decision-making. Do you think we're going to have to get to the point where we have to make a concrete decision, um, which could change, but, I mean, are more universal, a bit more like human rights in, in that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're going to have to make lots and lots of decisions um, about safety, which will have often have ethical components. And uh, philosophers are trained in thinking about those things. That doesn't mean necessar- to say necessarily that they are the ultimate authorities on them, but, but no. smart philosophers can can help us think through those sorts of decisions. Of course, philosophers like everybody else disagree with each other, so um, there's there's not usually uh, one authority that you can turn to, unfortunately. And there's, there's, you know we're going to have to make loads and loads of decisions. Self-driving cars will bring up lots of decisions. Um, the opportunity to have killer robots, which you know it's clearly sure. is clearly on its way in, uh, in war zones. Not, in in not war just zones. In your house. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, quite, yeah. yeah. Exterminating your children yeah, or, sure. or your neighbors. Um, that's that's uh, an area where we're going to have to make a lot of tricky decisions. Uh, and looking a bit further ahead, how we respond to the likelihood of lots and lots of people become un- becoming unemployed. Uh, we're going to need to make some tricky decisions there, too.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, all all extremely um, interesting, valid, and, and scary, I guess, in equal measure. Um, so we have this um, saying called Moore's Law. I don't know if you saw this recently in, in the news, um, or be it the um, more kind of underground uh, technologically technology news, but the, um, the people are starting to say that Moore's Law is coming to, not a plateau necessarily, but um, is breaking. It's coming to its extent can no longer cope with the rate of improvement that um, we've had for the last um, thirty years
1: yeah well strictly speaking moore's law has been dead for a while um, if you take it if you if you interpret it to mean the particular phenomenon that Gordon Moore noticed back in nineteen fifty six the the we're not able to stack lots and lots more transistors um, on the chip at the same rate as they were and particularly the clock speeds aren't increasing at at the same rate they were. However, uh, computers are still more or less doubling in their processing power, that's a tricky thing to to measure, but they are still doubling in their their capability per uh, pound of value every 18 months to two years. Now, um, most people seem to think that something like that is going to carry on happening for about 10 years and beyond that maybe, maybe not. There are lots of new technologies coming along which may well keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, the It's it hard to make 3D stacks of chips rather than 2D because either you have to um, print one on top of the other, in which case you're likely to fry the one underneath, or you have to print them separately and then uh, attach lots of wires between them, which is tricky. Yeah, but pe- sure. people think they have found ways to do it. Um, obviously, quantum computing is a huge yeah. step which is probably coming, but you know it's probably quite a long way into the future. Um, at the moment, uh, people are gravitating from CPUs to GPUs, which are more powerful for parallel processing. And chips are being designed for specific purposes, particularly for mobiles, as opposed to being general purpose, which is what they was used to be. And that's keeping some sort of a Baudlerized form of Moore's law going. Uh, at the moment now people argue about this up and down and it becomes a bit uh, theological frankly Yep. but but broadly speaking computers are still improving at an exponential rate not everybody would agree with that but that's broadly true and it means you know what it means in the real world is that um, deep learning and other machine intelligence technologies uh, techniques are going to continue to provide astonishing capabilities uh, which will mean that most people won't be doing paid jobs in 20 to 30 years because yeah. the machines will do them better. Uh, now, you know, that, that that progress may grind to a halt, but it's, it, that's not an immediate prospect and it doesn't seem very likely.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we can see this um, all around us with um, all sorts of uh, people's jobs getting usurped by Amazon or, um, you know, delivery services, delivering food straight to your door when there could have been lots of other people in that chain, we we are effectively optimising ourselves, I think, at almost, by yeah, using I think, this tool. You know, I, th- I this think
1: we're really at the early stages. I don't think we're beginning... I don't think we're really seeing much machine intelligence automation yet. Automation's been going on since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and before. Yeah. Uh, and, but and the Luddites
0: had something to say about that at yeah, the
1: time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... But but new jobs were invented, uh, new forms of old jobs were invented, and it didn't lead to long term secular unemployment. Uh, what actually happened was economic activity increased, wealth increased, and that that led to more jobs and and more wealth yeah. um. It may be different this time, I think it is different this time because this time the machines are replacing our brain capabilities, not just our, our, lab, our sort of manual labor capabilities. This, this. Uh, but I don't think we're really starting to see it yet. 2015 was a tipping point year because deep learning t- techniques enabled machines to get almost as good as us at image recognition and speech recognition and natural language processing. But the real world applications of those haven't really taken off yet they will in the next few years and that's when we're going to really start, is start seeing it happening
0: yeah I mean for me those things are pieces of the puzzle you put all these pieces together and you actually get something quite interesting um, individually they are you know not, not basic but quite uh, separate quite um, isolated yeah so, um, I think uh, so we've got a little bit of time left I think if, if you're okay for time sure um so I think in the singularity kind of outcome, um, the question might be, you know, how um, is there anything we can do? You know, how can we um, move f- forward towards a, a good outcome? How can we make machines help us um, uh, make the statistics work in our favor, if you like? Mm.
1: Well, the, the two singularities are different. The economic singularity requires different solutions to the technological singularity. Um, but they both require the application of a lot of our talent. So what the, I, th- I think the first step is for as many people as possible to become aware of what's coming down the road and the scale of the challenge, the scale of the opportunity. Because it, as I mm-hmm. say, in both of them, it could be really great outcomes if we get it right. So th- with the economic singularity, we need to be watching carefully to see whether machine intelligence automation... Does throw people out of work permanently, or whether we do succeed in creating uh, new jobs or varieties on existing jobs which the machines can 't do it seems to me unlikely, but yep. it 's uh, unproven at the moment, so we need to be watching carefully for that and I think the other thing we need to be doing is to uh, um, do thought experiments with different types of economies because one of the things that that 's obvious is let's say we mo- let's say most people can't work or can't do paid jobs and we all get paid a universal basic income that's fine but what it means is that unless we change the economic system most of us are living at the benevolence of the small number of people who own everything Mm. and those those people are called Larry Page, Sergey Brin and Mark Zuckerberg because AI is the juice in all value creation in 20 or 30 years and, and they and people like them will own it and a world where the rest of us live off their generosity is, is pretty dangerous, mm. particularly because they will have privileged access to a constant flow of technologies which will enhance them uh, cognitively and physically. And at a really rapid rate, you know, every week some amazing new thing will be uh, made available and they'll have privileged access to it. They will quickly become a different species. Now, sure. that's, very, that's very serious
0: um, th- I mean, because I- having... What can we do do. about this, you know, um, this kind of uh, bleak, kind of uh, totalitarian sort of environment? Is there something that we could um, get involved with ourselves now? Is it a politician's issue or is it um, a a grassroots movement?
1: I think think all we can do at the moment is think about it, study it and work out what the potential options are. And we've got time, you know, we've got two or three decades before this stuff happens. Uh, I don't think anybody's got any solutions yet. I I certainly haven't seen anybody come up with a blueprint of how we get from here, well, you know, what the new economy looks like and how we get from here to there. Um, I think that those are the sorts of questions we need to be thinking about. But we we are 7 billion smart little mammals and I think we need to apply quite a few of our best brains to these problems. So the first step is, is to get everybody thinking about it and the second step is to monitor and do scenario planning about the future. The other singularity, the technological singularity, is a longer-term project, and, and work has already started on that. And, and there are two, I suppose, two broad, two broad approaches to solving the problem of how you make sure our superintelligence is good for us rather than bad for us. Yep. One is you control it after it exists. That strikes me as being impossible, or at least very hard, um, yep. because you're trying to control something which is much smarter than you. The other is you set its motivation structure up before it arrives such that uh, it will only want good things for us and it will be very diligent about working out what is really, really good for us. And that strikes me as seeing a more fruitful line of attack. And there are four organizations already working on that. Sure. Um, so, you know, we've, we've started. There's a lot more work to do, but it's a, it's a generational project.
0: I think that's a, a really interesting point. and. um in, in my mind, when I think about that sort of... Um, there's a conscious artificial being uh, that we've kind of created or, or semi-bought into existence and it's probably helped itself along that route somewhere. Um, and um, the example I, I always talk to people about is if you give it some sort of motivation um, like reproduction or uh, feeding on different sorts of electronics or, you know, in some way... Um, or having to feel good about itself by other means, or you know, by doing things, it feels good about itself. Mm. Then you're you're almost kind of um, encouraging it to um, to reproduce. You're encouraging it to have these goals, which inherently these machines or the algorithms don't actually have, which is part of what separates us um, in biology, um, I guess. So we are we are trapped in this. Um, instinctual cycle of having to reproduce and and eat and have oxygen and all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, are you you worried that, uh, for myself, I'm a little bit worried that if we give uh, the means of reproduction to a machine uh, and and the want or the need to do it, that actually that will encourage it to do lots of other things, lots of other strange behaviours that we are accustomed to. Uh, like war and and famine and all sorts of other stuff.
1: It's very hard to guess in advance what the motivational set of the superintelligence will be. Um, we we will try to constrain it, and hopefully those constraints will survive. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think that's the best we can do. It, once it becomes millions of times smarter than us, its motivations will probably be as obscure to a, an unaugmented human as the motivations of a human are to a dog. You know, a dog looks at a human and thinks, you're such an alpha dog, I bet you've got a lot of really interesting bones buried, buried in all sorts of interesting places. And that's probably as far as it gets in thinking about what we do and what we're about. Was uh, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot more going on with us. Yeah, I think, I think the situation will be the same with the superintelligence.
0: So maybe we, we need it with the most simplistic um, kind of needs and wants... Um, which would be ideal so it would want to help us and that's all it would want for i guess maybe
1: i think we'd want it to do more than just help humans i think we'd want it to explore the universe and um penetrate its secrets further and further yeah as well as help
0: humans so that's almost saying that you know you can do it you know you can be a person yourself and you can go off and do things almost
1: assuming it achieves consciousness i think that's pretty much inevitable
0: yeah yeah um, well, I mean, I think we could talk about that particular subject um, continuously um, for a very long time. So <laughs> um, so I think we're going to call it there. And um, thanks very much, Callum, for coming on and uh, giving us all these um, exceptional nuggets of information. And, and um, if you could say one last thing to our audience interested in... Um, AI and um, ethics and all these sorts of things, what, what can you leave them with, I guess? I think I would say, this is the century of two singularities,
1: and it's incumbent on all of us to understand as much about, as we can about what's coming and help other people to, to understand it too.
0: Brilliant, cool. Well, thanks very much, Callum, and um, I will speak to you soon.